Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's Bible study is entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Lesson 3. Welcome to our third installment of Where Do We Go From Here? What Do We Do Now? Or multiple versions. Again, uh, very dependent upon uh, Dr. David Jeremiah and his sermon series along with his book. And highly recommend both of those to you. Um, it would, the best thing for me to do would be to just show his stuff and then sit down and watch, but it's kind of hard to... Anyway, I, it's better to have a live preacher, I think, so you can decide whether it's better. I don't know, maybe watch both of them. So uh, again, I add my own stuff in here, and we're going to continue to do that, as, as, as of course I always do, but very dependent upon him and the ministry of the church there that he has in California, and very grateful uh, for his commitment to the Word of God and his uh, service to the body of Christ, which has expanded tremendously because of the pandemic, which is going to be our subject tonight. The pandemic, what does the Bible have to say about pandemics? And um, why do they matter? Do they matter? Uh, is the current pandemic or the past pandemic, however you want to look at it, is it a sign of the end? And uh, we're going to be answering that question together. So uh, great to be back. My wife and I had a fast and furious trip all over the state of Texas, uh, with the exception of far west Texas. And we got back today, so from Houston. So a little bleary-eyed from traveling a lot, but uh, we're going to be, uh, let's see if I can direct your eyes to a place where we can be. We're going to be Matthew 24, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, go ahead and find that spot, and then we're going to be in other places, of course, a lot of places in the, on the Old and New Testament. Matthew uh, 24, though, is going to concern our interest here in just a minute. So let's pray. Uh, thankful very much uh, for our food, Tom and Joey, and Joey being the chief cook and bottle washer back there. Thank you, Joey. You're perfecting the art. Did you tell them? Did did we tell them what they ate? Eel and stingray and mud mud cat. You wouldn't know. We could feed you whatever. You fry it crisp, you'll all eat it, won't you? So, no, it was drum and whiting, I believe almost 100% of both of those. So those were actually excellent fish. So. All right, let's pray, and uh, we will dive in. God, I just thank you for time away, and I thank you for time back. I thank you for our church, for the fellowship we've already had uh, with the food uh, for our physical bodies. And now uh, we're requesting food for our spiritual bodies. We ask, God, that you would open our eyes. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask God that you would guide us, and we confess that we're just sheep, and this world is full of wolves, and uh, both uh, spiritual ones and physical ones, and um, uh, curses of all kinds, Lord, that we can fall under if we aren't careful. Lord, we pray your protection. We pray, God, we know that most of your protection comes from our obedience to you, and so we ask God for the hearts to obey you, to listen to you, to hear uh, what you have to say to us. Thank you for our time and this third time we've had together, and we pray your continued blessings over this time. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know you weren't here for this, but January 11, 2020, the first COVID-19 was reported in Wuhan, China. I probably have never heard of that, have you? <laughs> Two months later, Wednesday, March 11, 2020, the WHO, which is who, me? That's what it stands for. We found out. No, I don't know. How do we get over it? I don't know. How did it get here? We don't know. 
How do we get over it? We don't know. How long do we stay in our house? We don't know. The who, which is an owl, who declared the coronavirus, of course, a pandemic because it had spread by that time in within two months, 114 countries, and it killed almost 4,000 people by that time. Of course, that's the very early stages. Uh, it went all the way from, uh, from being nothing in January, effectively, and now we're finding out, I think, uh, largely proven that the, that the Wuhan virus or the coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, was actually out before that. Uh, probably in the early fall, as much as October, as reports that I've heard and some of the stuff, and it's kind of, you know, does it matter? I don't know that it totally matters. Uh, people say it was some of some say it's intended, something it was intentional, something it was non-intentional. Uh, the fact is, guys, ladies and gentlemen, nothing happens apart from God allowing it. So let's be let's be real clear on that part of the intentionality of it, because if it, God hadn't wanted it to happen, we wouldn't have happened. So whether it was the Chinese, you know, or the collaboration with who knows blah, da, 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 da. God's in charge so God did allow this uh, and in fact as we're going to see there's many examples of God allowing similar things to not just globally but locally and every, every other thing so so within a very few short amount of time uh, we had this major crisis stock market tumbled uh, Broadway went dark uh, movie theaters emptied NBA M MLB and N NHL canceled their seasons that was a shocker wasn't it uh, for the first time since its inception in 1939, college basketball's March Madness canceled. Never happened before. For only the fourth time in all of its history, Disneyland shut its gates. So what is a pandemic, and what does the Bible have to say about them, if anything? Well, actually, the word pandemic is, of course, a recent word. It's a modern term, and the Bible doesn't contain that term particularly, but it contains a number of terms, both Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, that refer to similar things. And these words are used more than 100 times in the Bible. You could effectively say the Bible is full of pandemics, uh, full of diseases and plagues, etc., both local and uh, global. And we're going to consider some of those. Uh, those words are used all over the place. Multiple times throughout the Bible, we find God using these plagues to accomplish His purposes. Again, that might bother you. How could God use death to accomplish His purposes? He does all the time. You're going to die anyway, right? So if we're in the hands of God, following God, we're immortal until our time. Does that make sense? There's nothing the devil can dish out against me that God doesn't allow. And if it comes to me through the devil, so be it. But that's God. It's not the devil. Let's not give the devil credit. He doesn't have any power all of his power is a delegated power and authority. If he has it, it's because God's allowed him to have it. He has to go and ask God for permission to touch Job, you remember? Because he says, you've hedged hope Job up. I can't get to him. And so God says, faithful words, right? Do it. Does God have a right to do whatever he wants to in your life? I sure hope he needs to have that right because he actually does. He doesn't need your permission. And uh, no, life will not last forever. You don't want it to. Heaven's going to be a great place. We need to make sure, though, that the time that God's given us, that we're doing what he's called us to do. Life is short anyway. It's going to be short. We only, have, we only have a certain amount of time to make a difference, and then the test is over. And you're going to be judged based upon how you took the test, how you played the game. We talked about the Monopoly game and all that stuff. So, so God has numerous times in the Bible used plagues to accomplish his purposes. Exodus 9, the Lord sent skin disease upon that ravaged the whole land of Egypt. Remember, the, 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 
the ten plagues of Egypt. One of those was a plague of uh, a physical plague, and it ravaged all of Egypt. It, it affected every last Egyptian, but not a single Jewish person who was living in their midst. How can God do that? Because God's in charge. God's in charge. Not the doctors, not you, not if you forgive me, not your hand washing or your or your mask wearing, not your vaccinations, not your hiding inside your houses. I did all that too. None of that actually stops God from doing whatever God wants to do. The reason why we're here tonight is because God decided that He wanted us to be here and no other reason. Are we all good with that? Amen. Amen. There's not another reason. Because God decided. God decided to afflict the Egyptians and not the Israelis. He afflicted Israel on a different occasion because of the disobedience of David. Remember the story in 2 Samuel 24, verse 15 and following. Because David decided he was going to, in disobedience to God, take, the, take a census of all the fighting men of Israel. And it was, it was an arrogant thing. And so God judged David by judging all of Israel. And he sent a plague that killed 70,000 of Israel's men. So will God kill his own people? Yep. He doesn't owe you anything. You're alive because he wants you to be. For his pleasures. Is that okay? You don't deserve anything but hell. And you're not getting that. Because Jesus died to pay for your sins. Is that okay? So everything you get that's not hell is a good day. Even if you passed away today. Is that okay? We really need to be okay with it. We forget sometimes that we, we, we think sometimes we, we put our faith in things like science and, and uh, doctors and our own abilities and our own intellect and what's running around between our ears, and it's a huge mistake. We're not in charge. They are not in charge. No one is in charge, and especially the devil is not in charge. God is, and God will accomplish his person's pur- purposes. So, so, so 70,000 men died in a very short period of time in 2 Samuel 24. The, the, the weird thing, or the, maybe the scary thing, is that Satan took the same plague effectively that he did to the Egyptians in Exodus 9, and he put it on Job in Job 2. So can Satan afflict people with diseases? Apparently. If God allows. So I have two men in the book of Revelation. We won't go there, but Revelation 11, you might want to write that down. It's not in the notes. Revelation 11, these two prophets, they're flesh and blood human beings, and they're able to afflict the entire globe with pandemics, with plagues, any time that they want. So can human beings do that? Apparently. If God so wills, there is no authority except that which comes from God. And so God gives, gives these two guys, these two witnesses, as they're called in uh, Revelation 11, this incredible authority the last three, the first three and a half years of the of the tribulation as i understand it so so jesus warns us of pestilences and that they will be one of the many signs of the last days and they will serve a purpose of shaking the earth and waking people up and helping them understand that something worse is coming even as bad as pestilences and pandemics can be that something worse is coming and that's the second coming of jesus you do not want to be on the wrong side of things when he gets here Definitely don't. That is definitely a side that you want, to, you want to pick the right side for. And what we've just been through, the coronavirus, means does it mean anything set against history, set against biblical history, both past and future? Well, uh, we're going to answer some of those questions. Like I said, I ask you to turn to Matthew 24. And the setting of Matthew 24 is Jesus has entered into Israel for the final time. 
He's come there with his disciples. It's Holy Week, we, as we call it. We're coming up on that pretty quick. Uh, he, is, he takes them every night out of Jerusalem. Part of the reason why he takes them out of Jerusalem is because there's no place to stay. Because every able-bodied male in Israel, from whatever, no matter where they were on the globe, were supposed to be in Israel, in Jerusalem, for three major feasts. One of those was the Passover. So Israel is, they rented out everything. So the only place that they could stay is over, obviously, lots of countryside. But they picked a place. Jesus picked a place. We know it was the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on Mount of Olives, which is to the east. When you go with us to Israel this coming fall, right? Some are. And the rest of you people are making a huge mistake. <laughs> it may not be open. I mean, we had it closed for two years, hadn't been able to go. The rest of you need to go. We will go to the place, or more or less the place, where Jesus stands over the, the panoramic view of the, the ancient city of Jerusalem. You can see the Temple Mount. You can see where it was. You can see the view they had. It's the places where he speaks what we call the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And he begins to tell them things. This is where Jesus gives his most comprehensive explanation of what would happen in the end times leading up to his second coming. So let's take a look at what he says here in Matthew 24, verses 1 through 8. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away. He'd go, like I say, every day he goes over to, to the Mount of Olives and would spend the night over there, and that's where he's betrayed, of course, on the, on the night of his betrayal. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away with his disciples and came up to a point, and his disciples came up to him to point out the temple buildings to him. And we know from another passage he was over on the Mount of Olives. And he answered and said to them, they said, what great buildings, basically. He says to them, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Again, when you go to Israel with us, we'll show you these stones. They're laying in the valley just exactly like Jesus predicted. They would uncover every single stone. They would turn over every single stone because the Romans would burn the temple, and it would melt all the gold. And because they were not allowed to go home without all the gold, they had to un uncover every single stone in order to get to the gold that had ran down in the cracks. So literally they dumped every single massive stone to a certain to level, basically to the level of the of the Temple Mount, every single stone of the building was dumped over into the Kidron Valley or the Teropian Valley. Every last one of them. Many of them are still. Some of them they've they've excavated and they've used for different things, and other ones are still laying there, just exactly as they were when the Romans dumped them out. You'll see a place in the wall on the west side where the largest stone ever used in masonry. It's not in Egypt. We think Egyptian temple. You know, their their pyramids have these huge stones. And they do. But the largest stone ever known to mankind, ever used in masonry, is actually in the walls of Herod's temple. And it's still there. And the reason why it's still there is because it was too big for the Romans to move. They moved all the rest of the stones. They moved st stones. The stone that's in that wall that is, they could not move is effectively the size of this room up to the walls here, like this. So they quarried that stone from somewhere else and moved it to that spot. How'd they do it? I don't know. But man, you can understand why the, why the Romans said, hey, can we just leave this one right here? Because it's kind of big. <laughs> it's giant. <laughs> it's giant. I don't know how the tonnage they've estimated. So let's keep reading. So, so we'll stand on the temple. We'll stand on Mount of Olives and look at the temple, and we'll see the places where, where all the things that Jesus predicted. Not one stone will be left upon another, he says, until they'll all be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and saying, Tell us. They asked several questions here. They think they're all one. 
but Jesus is going to separate them, that one question, but they're actually not. They're, they're asking multi-generational questions, if you will. Tell us, when will these things be? What things? The turning over the temple. Well, that happened 30 years later. And what will be the sign of your coming? Because they expect those to be simultaneous. Obviously, if the Romans destroy our temple, that's when you're coming back, right? In their heads, that's what they thought. It, can't, it, it has to be the precipitant event, right? We have so many, we're just like them. Well, this has to be, the coronavirus has to be the end of time. Well, nope. How will you know when it's the end? When it is. <laughs> the second it's over, I'll tell you. Because before that, I won't be able to know. So, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So those are actually three separate questions. The events, when will these things happen? When will your second coming be? And when will the end of the age be? Those are actually three separate events. In fact, they separate each other about thousands of years, depending on how you see it. Jesus answered and said to them, see to it. So he's now telling them their answers, if you will. See to it that no one misleads you. Now that's instructive. We're talking about the disciples. I'm about Peter, James, and John, and Matthew, and solid guys who knew their Bibles, knew Jesus, saw him personally. See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and mislead many. How could they be possibly susceptible to that when they walk with Jesus? It's like someone saying, make sure that you don't fall for another Valerie besides your wife. It's like, I don't see the chance of that. Well... I don't see the chance of that, but there was a chance of them not knowing the right Jesus. So if they were susceptible, look around. Don't think you're not. In, in the world of wolves, you are sheep. Just deal with it. So Jesus answered and said, and see through it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name. Here's one of the signs. Seeing, saying, I am the Christ, and with, will mislead many. That's a terrible word. Many. You will be the hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened. Don't be, don't be deceived. Don't be frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginnings of birth pains, he says. So we hear several things here. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on my account. And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another to, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And because of lawlessness increase, uh, most people will love, grow cold. But one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the king will be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. And then he goes on talking about the abomination that causes desolation there in, uh, out of Daniel. So... So he refers to six different things here that I see, that I want to enumerate to you, that lead up to our key signs to the second coming of Jesus. These are things that lead up to it. Number one, the deception of false Christ. The deception of false Christ. The leading world religions today, with the exception of Hinduism, all were created since Jesus. All of them have a theology that includes Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. They are false Christs. Remember, we learned last time, or last Sunday, we were together, you and I, that if anyone's not for me, he is what? And so even though they name the name of Christ, the Muslims name the name of Christ, Jesus says, Jesus, their Jesus has an incredibly important part in their end time events. 
But he's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's not the Jesus that you trust. He's the wrong Jesus. So they're against him. Uh, that's the, the Islam. Uh, Hindus, they're older than his Christianity, but they've included Jesus because they're just kind of this all-inclusive thing. They're also their Jesus is no savior. He's just one more of their gods. Mormonism, of course, they have their own Jesus, but in, in their theology, actually, you turn out to be Jesus because you get to save yourself. Same is true with Jehovah's Witness. So all these, all these major world religions, and most of them have come about since Jesus, all have Jesus as a part of theology. Exactly what Jesus said we should expect. We should expect more, because he tells us here, they're like birth pangs. So these have popped up in different places, like, like a woman in labor. They're slow, they're, they're, they're intermittent. We should expect the best ones. The best ones, in my opinion, are yet to come. We should expect these. So deception of false Christ, have we seen that yet? Is it plausible to you? It is. It's very plausible. We've, we've seen that. We have illustrations of that. Wars and rumors of wars. I don't know if you've seen any of those lately. They're going to get worse, more frequent, more deadly. Remember the war to end all wars? That was World War I. Then we had World War II, very quickly. And we've had arguably more deadly wars even since then. Some of these other wars that have gone on for, for decades have killed just scores and scores and scores of people. So these birth pangs are becoming more intense and they're becoming more frequent. There would be diseases and famine. That's a third thing. Again, there's your pandemics. That would also be a sign. There would be tribulation and persecution of God's saints. I mean, depending on where you are, even now here in the United States, we're starting to see some of this as we're beginning to be blackballed and called lots of things that uh, dishonor God. Number five, there would be a defection or a falling away of false believers. One of the biggest shocks, one of the biggest shocks is going to be those who call themselves by the name of God and the name of Jesus are actually turning out to following a false Jesus. A Jesus of their own concoctions. There's a lot of those. And they're going to become big. It's going to be a shocker. Many false believers are falling away, a, 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 a moving away of these false believers. And then number six, that there would be a carrying of the gospel to the entire globe. Many of these things are even more plausible today than they've ever been, been. And these things cover basically what leads up to and includes the first three and a half years of the tribulation, which is called the tribulation which is followed by the Great Tribulation, which is the last three and a half years, which is set off by the Antichrist and his, his ending of the covenant with Israel and all the things that we studied there in Revelation a couple of years ago. Uh, these signs, though, build up over time as the Bible describes, as Jesus describes it here, like a woman in labor. Anybody here ever had a child? I'm not talking to you men. So, so it's about like pulling a tooth, right? It's no big deal right? You just go in there, they give you a little Novocaine, there it is, whammo, right? No. In fact, if, if, if you've had a child or had a wife that had a child, you know that these things take a long time, take nine whole months, and labor isn't just the last two weeks. Labor actually is a, is a, is a growing of the baby, a, a lowering of the baby headed south, ready to be born, changing of the body, Braxton Hicks, as they call it, false labor. It's not false labor. It's just not labor that leads to the ultimate birth within 24 hours. It is labor, though, preparing a woman's body to have a baby. It is labor. Why? Because it hurts? Because it feels like her, you know, I can't, what Valerie would just, I remember, well, all three of our children, she would just stop and say, what's wrong? I can't breathe right now. You know? 
Because, because why? Because the baby was getting lower, because it was getting time, and she would have those, you know, off and on. And that's the way we came into this world, because it would be more, they would become closer together, they would become more intense, it doesn't get less. So these labor pains, as Jesus describes, and I'm giving you six of these things that are indicative of his second coming, or actually the tribulation, and ultimately second coming. These are like labor pains. They're headed to a birth, a cataclysmic global birth of literally biblical proportions. These things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. We're wiping our balance saying, you know, we survived the pandemic. Isn't that great? We're set for a long time. And, you know, maybe we are. But you ask any woman that's had a child and she'll tell you that, yeah, you think that one's over and you're all happy. But guess what? There's another one coming. And the next one may be the same, or it may be worse, and it may last longer. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. You know, we're all happy that we survived, aren't we? And that we're all doing good, and that we really didn't lose anybody here in this church to uh, people that we knew, but not anybody directly associated with our church to to this pandemic. But nonetheless, we have many people, of course, lots of lots of people with side effects. I I know you feel sorry for me, but steak doesn't taste good to me even today. I, yes, you can pray for me. <laughs> That's all it did. I didn't even, I ran, you know, two hours of fever and sat around twiddling my thumbs and I went out fishing every day because I, there wasn't nothing else to do. I just didn't get sick and then I couldn't taste my coffee anymore. And then that's when it really hit. Something's wrong. This pandemic was not so bad for most of us. It was bad for a lot of us, but it's going to get to the place where it's going to be more, these, these things are going to be more efficient. Just like labor pains become more efficient. They become stronger. Uh, they become more uh, involving. You know, when a woman starts out again, I've never had a child, but I have a wife who did. And I've been around several women who had, you know, the labor pains. You didn't even know what they were to begin with. It's kind of like, I don't really know what's wrong. Oh, you find out later, that was a labor pain. Oh, that's really cool. My baby's coming, you know, soon. And then, yeah, I listen to her about two months from now. And she's going, oh, my gosh. Oh, can't believe it. Because they got closer together and they got stronger and they became more intense because this thing has, this thing has to come out. Likewise, this world is going to give birth. There's going to be this thing, this cannot continue like this. It's going to come together. And already in our lifetimes, we have seen uh, multiple pandemics, and they continue to grow closer and closer. COVID-19 uh, was, first of all, let's just say, the, there is no signs for the rapture of Jesus for his church. There's no sign. There's nothing biblical that has to take place. So, so is, first of all, COVID-19, is it a sign of the rapture? No, it's not. Because there is nothing biblically, nothing prophetically that has to take place. The church could leave right now, and there would be nothing left. He could, they could have left during the time of Paul and Peter. There would be nothing left prophetically to take place. Uh, it can take place now. The imminence of the return of Christ for his church, it is imminent. But the return of Christ for, for the world, his second coming, is not imminent. What I mean by that, I mean in the sense of you're gonna, imminence just simply means it could happen at any moment. The return of Christ cannot happen at any moment. It has very clear, very demarcated signs. This happens, and then this happens, and then birth pains, and these things get stronger. These things get more. And one of those things, of course, is the increasing of what we know of today as pandemics, according to Matthew 24. So no, COVID-19 was not a sign of Jesus' coming for the church, but it definitely is a sign 
of Jesus' coming, second coming, and judgment of this, of this earth. And we saw that in Matthew 24. So a pandemic is a birth pain. That's what it is. Affectious disease outbreaks will come, here's according to the scriptures, will become more frequent, more intense, have an impact on more people as time progresses. We've already seen in my lifetime, let's just start with 1980, we've already seen uh, numerous pandemics. We've seen HIV, that was a pandemic, global. Killed a lot of people. Affected a lot of lives. SARS, that was a pandemic. Killed a lot of people, affected a lot of lives, even though it didn't necessarily affect us here. The ones that came in contact with it, oh. Swine flu, that was what, five years ago. This was a pandemic, affected a lot of people. I did a funeral. I did not do a funeral for, a, well, I guess, I guess you could say I did a funeral for a COVID death. In fact, I did do a funeral for a COVID death. I did a funeral for a swine flu death. So, affected, you know, just, just underneath the ministries that God's, God's given me, those just, just some of the things. So, but this most recent, of course, uh, pandemic was the most, the most recent was far worse than any of these. So we, we, we hope and we want things to go back to the way they used to be. But there ain't no indication that that's going to happen. Yeah, this thing is climbing. So the next one, you say, well, maybe I'll be dead before then. Okay, that's what I'm hoping. Maybe not. Maybe this is just getting you ready for the next one that's coming down the pipe. Again, I'm not being uh, fear-mongering or anything like that. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to tell you what the Scripture says. They don't get less. They get closer together. And more importantly, they get stronger. So did this one affect your life? Oh, boy. So if anything, you'll be ready for the next one. You'll know better how to do. Um, I, I know I will. So, so it is a sign of numerous things. It's a sign of the vulnerability of us all. Would you agree? You found out that no matter how smart we are, and no amount of intelligence, education, uh, medical advancements can actually truly protect us. It is just a smokescreen. We're just waiting for the next thing. Yeah, you're good with the flu, and you're good with the cold, and you're good with stubbing your toe and getting an infection. But who thought of a Wuhan virus? No one did. And it rolled over us like a great big wave. Well, guess what? We're way more vulnerable than we think. We live in this tranquil, um, mystical thing that says we're different than the previous generations. The previous generations didn't have our science and they didn't have our medications and stuff like that. But guess what? We all still die somehow. We get sick and die or get run over by a bus or eaten by a shark or something, just like they did. So actually, nothing's totally changed. And we may not be dying from the same things we can deliver ourselves from. I can go get a colonoscopy, for instance, and not die. I mean, you can prevent colon cancer, but guess what? You're going to wind up dying from something else. And really not living much longer than my ancestors who had none of my vaccinations, who had none of my medications, none of my doctors, and none of my experience. How'd they do that? Well, because we only, we, we're only living and dying based upon the whims of God anyway, right? So don't let the smoke screen of, well, we're advanced in technology and in medicine make you think that somehow we're different than anybody else. We're not. We're only here for a short time, and that time's going to be soon over. So it reminds us, it's a sign, of these, if you will, this, this pandemic has been a sign of our vulnerability, number two. It has taught us a lesson about the credibility of the Bible. Not to say that we didn't think the Bible was credible, but it makes it a lot more plausible, doesn't it? So who would have thought 
this kind of thing would happen to us, this global issue, shutting down everything. Never thought of that. Uh, we have always, of course, believed the Bible, but somehow this, uh, uh, these apocalyptic events that the Bible describes seems much more plausible now. How could something sweep over the whole globe and affect everybody and affect all the water and all the salt water? Well, it starts to make more sense to me now. I don't know about you. It makes the Bible a lot more plausible. Here's, here's one of the things that, that I think you might find plausible. The Bible predicts that we're going to have a war with Russia. Actually, Russia is going to insinuate a war along with a coalition of states, which include Iran and Turkey and Sudan and Libya and, I, and Syria and uh, parts of Georgia and those areas. Is that plausible? Seem at all plausible to you? Do you realize that preachers like me 200 years ago couldn't imagine that happening? Because within 100 years, or a little over 100 years ago, Russia, which it had always been, had been nothing but a state of peasants. They were the least technologically advanced country, in, no matter where you went. And they were started by the Scythians. Are you familiar with the Scyths? They were a horse culture, like, like the Comanche Indians, and just as wild and uncivilized. They had no dominant government. They had no organization. They just liked to kill people and pillage and plunder and leave. That's all they were. We were, our ancestors, there may be Russians in here, I don't know, but the most of our European ancestors were far more civilized. We had advanced weaponry. We had advanced armies. We had all the Russians were over there just eking out an existence. I mean, for centuries and centuries and centuries, up, even up until 250 years ago, no one could imagine the Russians would be the ones who would lead a coalition against Israel. Russians? You know the reason, you know the Operation Barbarossa? You know the reason why um, Hitler invaded Russia? Even though he, had an, he, had, he was at war with us and all of the Western uh, alliance, you know why? Because he thought that Russia would be just a snap. Just a bunch of idiots. Well, thanks to Hitler, he turned them into an industrialized nation because they had to get their war machine going. And they turned out to be a force to be reckoned with. And now, now we've got to deal with them. The Bible says they're gonna, we're going to be dealing with them in spades. Uh, here's what it tells us about that invasion of uh, that ain't it. I'm not even sure what that is. That's a good verse, though. Where was I supposed to do that? Ezekiel. No. Let's go there. <laughs> Ezekiel 28. I've been on a vacation. Ezekiel 28. I know I put it in there. Hang on. Oh. Oh, it won't come up. There. See, I did. But you can go there anyway. Ezekiel 38, verses 21 through 23. Here's the result. So, so, so God's going to put it in the heart of Gog, who is the king of Magog. Magog, by the way, is the ancient name for, um, I can never remember the, Moscow. Do you know that? No question about where he's talking about here. The ancient name for centuries and centuries, millennia, the name of Moscow was Magog. That's what they were called. So this king called Gog is going to rule over Magog, and he's going to swoop down with all these military forces, and they're going to try to conquer Israel. But God's going to intervene. This is not the end times event. This is not the second coming. This is some precipitant event probably near the end. 
but we're still, but is it not plausible? Can you imagine it? I'm telling you, your ancestors 150 years ago could not imagine Russia would ever be able to get together. They, they fought with sticks. Now they're far greater than sticks. So here's what God says, I will call for a sword against him, that's Gog and Magog, on all my mountains, that's Israel, that's where they're going to be. Declares the Lord, every man's sword will be against us. This is how he defeats them. They're going to all fight each other, kill each other. And the plague with blood, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who were with him, a a torrential rain and hailstones and fire and brimstone. You don't want to be there. So I will prove myself great and show myself holy and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. This is prior to the end time, the, well, the seven-year tribulation, somewhere prior, somewhere maybe even today. Very plausible today, though, is it not? Very imaginable. The Bible tells us, or goes on to tell us there in Ezekiel later, it says it's going to take them, for all the dead that die there in Israel, it's going to take them seven months to bury everybody. Seven months. Every day, they're going to have people whose only job is to go through Israel and find bones, find left, leftovers, if you will. Uh, whatever corpses or whatever remains there might be. Seven months. Is, is that plausible? Well, well, how many remember not, just long, not too long ago, our morgue stacking up and we had no, no one to bury them. Nowhere to bury them. And that was just down here. I'm sure it was everywhere. Very plausible, isn't it? You sit back and think, oh, well, that couldn't happen. Well, yeah. First of all, the Bible says it. Secondly, you can imagine it now because we've been through a taste Revelation 8 tells us that in the end times, there's going to be a third of all the earth that perishes within a very short time. One third. That's like 1.7 billion people. One in every three. So every two of you is going to be burying one of you, if you can think about it that way. How long do you think that's going to take? It's plausible, though, isn't it? We've seen this kind of thing just sweep in, just like that. It's plausible. That's huge, great, great more numbers, but it's plausible. When it comes to pandemics, we've seen that, well, we need to know for sure. We haven't seen anything yet. I wish I had better news for you, but I do not. I mean, it's great that we made it, right? But I'm telling you, this is just, as Jesus would say, the beginnings of birth pains. It's going to get far worse. I have a better comprehension of how those events take place, though, now because of our experience that we've gone through. And again, they, didn't, they don't just seem plausible anymore to me. They seem impending. I mean, who could have believed that we could have been completely halted by a plague just like that? Who would have believed that? We did. Two months from the time it was introduced or the time we understood it to be introduced to the place where we were not going to church anymore, our kids were not in school anymore, uh, all kind, our work now shifted from an office to our dining room table. We're going to, how many of you had ever worn a mask prior to that? Not even in the hospital, had you? Now, how many, how many do you have in your car? Anybody have in your, in your possession right now? Wow, life changed for the whole globe. For the entire globe. I'm telling you, if it affected us in Texas, it affected everyone else's. We're the most conservative people in the world here in Texas, right? <laughs> Not necessarily. But we'd like to think that. We'd like to think that we're you know, separate and we're different. And the fact is, we are so, as we talked about last time, we're so globally linked. There's no separation. Whatever happens in China happens here in the same day, more or less. So who would have believed it could have done all those things? So 
So it's taught us, it's taught us of the uncertainty of times. It's taught us the plausibility of the Scriptures. It's taught us the uncertainty of life. Uh, did you expect, like I said, to be, your schedules to be canceled? Did you expect this stuff? You know, we, we live every day thinking everything's going to be the same as it was tomorrow, today. I mean, tomorrow as it was today. We learned a little different lesson, didn't we? Boom, just like that. Rug gets yanked out from under us. No, seemingly no end in sight. I remember thinking we had a, we had a trip planned for, for Israel that fall. And just, I told Val, she said, are we going to have that trip? Oh, yeah, this is going to be over. <laughs> the next year, guess what happened? Oh, no, it wasn't over even the next year. We didn't go to Israel again. I set my clock by going to Israel. Wow, it was a shocker. Uh, it really was. I mean, who could have known? Really? Who could have known? We now know. We couldn't have known then. The fourth thing that it has taught us, or that a lesson it's taught us, is the sufficiency of Jesus, has it not? This virus points us to Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, there's, there's the verse I had up before. John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. So why did Jesus tell us this stuff? Because he doesn't want you to get upset. In the world, you will have tribulation. He doesn't, you know, not to say that he can't swoop in and like he did in Israel and Egypt where all the Egyptians get the plague, all the lost people get the plague and none of us get it. Well, I knew a lot of Christians that died from this plague, didn't you? It just didn't work out that way. Not to say that you can't do that, but he just didn't do that. So in this world, he says, you will have tribulation. Take courage, he says, I've overcome what? The plague? No. The system from which the tribulation comes. Not just the tribulation does he overcome. He overcomes the, the entire system. So, so Jesus is not, we didn't have any answers, but we had the answer, did we not? We knew him. We found out that Jesus and the peace that he brings is enough to carry us through difficult times. Now, you hate to learn that the hard way, but most of the time, I don't know about y'all, that's about the only time I ever really learn anything, is the hard, is the hard way. So, so, so our answer or a question that we've been answering every time we've been together is, where do we go from here? What do we do? What do we do now? Number one, prioritize your prayer life. Some of the things I'm going to say are going to sound like I'm bashing, but I'm not. Because I'll just say to you, my prayer life, just confession, don't tell anybody. If you're listening online and you repeat this to anyone, I'm going to be mad. No, I don't care who knows, because I think a pastor sets an example, whether negatively or positively. My prayer life isn't near what it ought to be. It just isn't. It just hasn't been. And if anything, this, this pandemic has reminded me in, in this prayer series that we've been through here for the past four or five, three or four months, man, how, how, how loudly that speaks to us. We're the children of God who have direct access to the throne. We're not charging the throne. With, like we talked about with our three tortilla request. Why aren't we doing this? Because our, our world can't do this. They don't belong to God. Either a child of God or a child of Satan. The child of Satan are not welcome. They, cannot, they don't have the access. They don't have the authority. We have such a great responsibility. So desperately do we need to have a pri our prayer life prioritized. I mean... Do you suppose, I mean, how many people do you think prayed more during the pandemic? We have more prayer going up than we ever did. We, we need to not just wait for pandemics. 
uh, to do that. Uh, such a great prayer. I want to give you an example of such, such a great prayer. I want us to turn to Second uh, Chronicles. There were multiple armies converging against Israel and King Jehoshaphat, and he prays this amazing prayer. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Wow, that's the story. He's, they're being converged on by several armies. Any one of them is equal to or better than Israel as far as just strength and military ability. And now he's got three, I believe, converging upon Israel. And, and King Jehoshaphat sets the whole nation down and has a prayer meeting. And he leads the prayer. Listen to the prayer that he prays. This is Second Chronicles chapter 20. Verses 5 through 12. This is a great pandemic prayer, by the way. A great anything going bad prayer. Listen to what he says. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not the God in the heavens, and art thou not ruler of all the kingdoms of the nations? Notice, he understands God's in charge, and that's so important. So important. Art thou not the rulers of the kings of the nations? In other words, God, the reason why these people are coming is because you allowed them to come. So that's why I'm coming to you. Powers and might are in thy hands so that, that no one can stand against thee. Did thou, didst thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and give, us, give it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend, forever? It, and if they lived in it, have built a, the, they've lived in it and built a sanctuary for thee in it, there for thy name's sake, and, and say, thy, thy name saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and cry to thee in our distress, and thou wilt hear and deliver us. So he's just simply saying, you told us to do this, and here we are. He said, God loves for you to remind him of what he said. He doesn't have a problem with it at all, because it shows that you've been listening. And now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, these three enemies, are coming. And thou didst not let Israel invade them, and they came out of the land when they came out of the land of Egypt, and they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Behold, how they have rewarded us by coming to drive us out from thy possession, which thou hast given us in, 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 as an inheritance. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? It's up to him, right? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, and nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. And we won't read the rest of the story, but they basically don't have to fight each other. In fact, what it says happens is going to happen to Russia and all the coalition coming against Israel is what happened against this old ancient coalition. They killed each other. They, they, were, only, they were only together because they had a common Israel in, enemy, which was Israel. And when they decided that they didn't like how each other was doing things, they started killing each other. Well, basically, by the time Israel showed up on the battlefield, they were all dead. They just plundered the dead. That's all they did. So... What a great prayer. I mean, uh, you know, our eyes upon, are upon thee. That's a great prayer. That's a great pandemic prayer. That's a great problem prayer, a great issue prayer, especially because we know that life is not predictable. It's really not. Prioritize prayer. I mean, so what do we do? Is this, is this it for us? Is this the end of our nation? Is it, like I told you last time, the, the would-be sage and or prophet Merle Haggard has said, is the best of the free life behind us now? Are the good times really over for good? I don't know. Maybe. It may be. 
It could be. So how do we pray about that? God, our eyes upon you. Now, what are we supposed to do? I'm a Christian first. I'm also American. How, how do I act in this? God, tell us. God, show us. I don't have any answers for you. I wish I did. I don't, I can't, I don't believe any of us can tell each other how to do things. Uh, but, but we have to go to God and we have to trust him and prioritize our prayer life. So somebody, who's competing with me? So number one, where do we go from here? Number one, prioritize our prayer life. Number two, we should sacrificially serve others. Oh, this is critical. Critical, critical. When we go through a hard time, which we did, and I don't know how well we did, and some of us did better than others, and sometimes we were better than, than, better than ourselves, had been better versions of ourselves. But the best thing to do under pressure, in addition to prayer, is to quit thinking about yourself. Like I said before, not to mind to be cruel or judgmental in any way other than to simply say, you're going to die anyway. You're going to die anyway. And it may be tomorrow, and it may be the next pandemic, and it may be before Jesus comes, or it may be never. Maybe, maybe you are going to get raptured out of here. That's what I'm aiming at. But between now and then is a, is a determined amount of time of your life, and that's the only time that you have to build up an eternal inheritance. That's all. And from here, from this point on, from the end of that life on, you're going to be answering to God for all eternity for how you conducted his eternal life that he gave you today. So, so serving ourselves in the midst of that, I don't think that's a good move. There's no better way to help yourself than to help others. Stop thinking about yourself. It's not, you know, it's not high self-esteem, it's not low self-esteem, it's stop thinking about yourself altogether. That's a biblical recommendation. That's a biblical recommendation. Self-esteem, one way or the other, is really unbiblical. Busy yourself with the concerns of others. Don't just think about yourself. You're going to be fine, by the way. Even if you die today, you're going to be just fine. How do we know that? Because you have a great shepherd. Shepherd knows how to take care of his sheep. You're going to be just fine. You are in the cause that God has for you in, this, in that sense as you're obedient to him. You are immortal until he says it's time to go. And when it's time to go, your number's up. You know what? There won't be a thing you can do about it. So I'm not saying being, you know, we need to all take our mask off and get shot or stop getting shots. I'm not, you know, somebody's going to come back and say, probably going to be somebody online, and say, Pastor Bill said, no, 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 no. I didn't say that. You need to do what you think is best, and you need to be as healthy as you possibly can. But we also need to make sure that our priority is not to live forever, because we're not. You're not going to do that. You're going to live forever, but not in this body, not under these conditions. You don't want to. So, so do, do your best to serve others, whatever that takes, what, how, however that should work out for you. Number three, what should we do from here? What do we do from here? Count your blessings. Like I said, we're still here. You survived by God's grace. We survived. It didn't affect, for the most part, didn't affect us. Uh, how many of you here caught coronavirus? How many of you here would like to catch it because you feel left out? <laughs> you do, Jeff? We're going to have an altar call as soon as this is over. I'm going to have you lick a small lid on a jar. We can get that to you. Count your blessings. Here we are. When we're feeling pressure from the signs of the times, we need to get our calculators out and start counting our blessings. We're doing, we're doing way better in the blessings category than we are in any kind of difficulties. We say, woe is me. You, really, for the most part, none of us have any right to say that. We are doing really, really well. God has blessed us. In fact, we can never say that because of what Scripture says. For 
of His fullness. We have all received grace upon grace. Is it not true? Grace upon grace. This church has received grace upon grace. So blessed. We really have. Like I said, I've known families that have gone through really difficult, have lost. One of my former deacons and his wife both passed away within a day of each other in my hometown. His kids are my age. And, um, you know, at the same time, even though they're grieving greatly, praising God. Because they know they're going to see their parents again. Their parents were wonderful, wonderful servants of the Lord. Uh, left this life with not a single regret. They had great impact upon me. I was a kid in that church growing up underneath, underneath them. And continue to do that all the years, you know, since I left at 18. And they, had, they continue to be the great people they were all that time, up until the day they passed away. So, so do they miss them? Absolutely. They're heartbroken? Sure. No regrets, because mom and dad set a great example of how to live it until you don't live anymore. And that's exactly what they did. What a great uh, testimony they are. John 1, 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. How'd you do with this one? And everything, give thanks. Every day you got up and said, thank you, God, for the coronavirus, right? Huh? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God's in control, and nothing comes apart from the will of God. So God, I'm in your will. I got coronavirus, or I don't, and we're in a pandemic, and we're shut down, or whatever. Okay. This is, you're in control. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. There's something great coming out of this. You're working your work. And you're answering, if nothing else, at the very least, he's answering the prayer, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. His kingdom to come and his will be done means we've got to get things, things have got to get a lot worse. Pandemics have got to get a lot more effective than this. This, was, this is tiddlywinks compared to what's coming. They've got to be. So you're praying that prayer, which Jesus said we need to pray. We should be praying. So you're at, to, in a part, you're asking for all this to collapse and come apart. So it needs to be okay. You never have our head on straight with that kind of stuff. We really do. So count your many blessings. Number, number four, stay calm and carry on. That was tough. There's nothing says that we are living by trusting our Savior than being calm in the midst of a storm. And how did we do? Not all of us did that well, depending on the day, you know, depending on what it was. Because uh, it's easy to lose your heads because we're all mortals. And honestly, sheep. I mean, Jesus called us sheep, and sheep can get nutty sometimes and lose themselves. But because we have a great shepherd and we're centering ourselves upon the shepherd, again, don't fake it till you make it. You know, well, I'm doing great, and inside you're all this turmoil. Please don't fake it. Be who you're supposed to be. Learn to live in the peace of Christ. And until you're not living in the peace of Christ, tell all your brothers and sisters in Christ that you can't. I'm, doing not, I'm not doing very good right now. It doesn't help that you don't share with us because then we can't pray for you. So we struggle together, right? John 14, 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, Jesus speaking, not as the world gives, do I not give to you, do I give to you, do not let your hearts be troubled, nor be, nor fearful, wow, now that's a commandment from the Savior, don't do it, don't do it, again, this is not bashing those who got all scared and hunkered down and wore 15 masks or whatever, because maybe I did some of that too, but, but, don't let yourself stay there. Get out from under that mentality. Now, the Savior, he's in charge. He is. So when you see a calm sheep, what do you know about that sheep? No. Yeah, pretty close. Those are the, those are the calmest ones, right, David? Actually, the, I don't know much about sheep, and David knows a lot more than I do. 
but, but have you noticed that the calm sheep, I mean, we're, you, know, you ever seen a sheep being sheared? That sheep is just like he's getting a massage. Because why? Because the sheep is just as dumb as he ever was. But he's, he's right where he's supposed to be doing what he's supposed to do. What's the sheep supposed to do? Just lay there still until they get the wool. He produces wool. And his master takes care of me. It's a total trust situation. The master knows where the razor's supposed to go. He's not going to kill me. Uh, I trust him. Uh, I, I'm doing my service for the master. The master's taking care of me. I can't keep this wool very long. I'll fall over dead if I get it wet. You know, they'll, you know, the sheep have, of course, not all that's running through their heads because there's not a lot, not a lot up there running around. <laughs> but it, when you see a calm sheep, it actually doesn't tell you anything about the sheep. It tells you a lot about the shepherd. Now, sheep can be calm in a short amount of time, even though everything's crazy because they're just so dumb they can't even see how crazy things are. But most of the time, a sheep without a good shepherd, the things start flapping at all. If they're uh, literally flapping, like if there's a flag flapping, the sheep will go nuts. They'll fall apart. Oh, there's a flag. They don't even know what that is. You have to be real careful with them. But, but, a, sheep, but a sheep that's going through storms and difficult times that has got it together and they're together in a herd and they're doing together, it doesn't tell you a thing about the sheep. It tells you a ton about the shepherd, doesn't it? So we have such a great responsibility to bear witness to our peace-giving Savior. Don't we? It doesn't say anything about you. It says everything about the Savior. So I need to rely upon Him. I have a testimony to give. I have a very short life, and in that time, I've got to give a testimony. I've got to serve Him. And so part of that is me centering myself again on Him. So I'm, I've lost control, and I've lost my mind, and I'm scared to death. Okay, all right. The Lord knows that. Get, get back with it. Learn these verses. Memorize them, put them in your head, put them in your heart. Our shepherd receives glory when his sheep trust him, and by that trusting him, calm in the midst of bad circumstances. When all the other sheep out there without a shepherd are losing uh, their minds. Here's another verse that's uh, instructive and uh, convicting for sure. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you had one of those, you know where it didn't come from but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How was your mind during that time? Uh, yeah, it's just not from God. This is what God gives us. This is from God. And so if you don't have those things, but you are his sheep, memorize this verse and keep telling yourself until you get it. <laughs> I mean, truly. We have to focus. We say, God, and like, don't fake it till you make it, you know, kind of thing. Be honest with, with yourself. The purpose of, of a sheep being in a fold is that we're together in this. Uh, Pastor, I'm having a, a terrible time. I'm, I'm having a difficult time. Okay. Uh, friend, brother, sister in Christ, Sunday school class. I'm, I'm struggling with whatever's going on. Okay, great. That's what the church is for. That's why we're together. A sheep by itself is, uh, what, a dead sheep, right, David? It'll be real calm out there, just dead as it can be as the wolves eat on it. So, so of a sound mind, here's, here's another thing where the sound mind comes from. Not that we're totally irresponsible. We don't have to just wait until God gives us one. We actually have to take charge of our minds. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the mighty of God for pulling down to strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So it's a, it's a mental thing. So, so, so we have to know what God says and know who God is in order to apply this knowledge. Bringing every thought captive into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So i got to know who Christ is. i got to be determined to obey Him. 
And then I got to be diligent with what's running around between my ears. Careful. And again, and I don't think I've said this, but stop watching the news. I don't think I mentioned that, did I? Like, don't ever turn it on ever again. <laughs> like, ever. Like, stop it. Like, don't do it. They're getting their ratings from Christians watching them. They're lying. They, well, so let's say they're not lying to you. They're just giving you what they want you to hear. So what's really the difference? And Have I not talked about this? I know. I'm going to beat this soapbox one more time. So they're probably lying to you. At the very least, they're telling you second information, which you cannot verify. And you're filling your heads full of stuff, and they're only telling you what they want you to know, which in most cases is inflammatory and fear-causing. So you're not taking, watching those, can I say idiots? I've said that before. Those idiots. You're not taking captive what's running around between your ears. You're not. They are telling you what to think. You aren't deciding that. Not wise. I don't think it's wise at all. So we have to know this stuff. Who told you that you have to know this stuff? Well, you have to serve God, and you have to serve others, and you don't have to know nothing else. The sheep has this, you know, the, the wolf talks the sheep into, oh, you're magnanimous, you can know a lot of stuff. No, really, you don't. No, can know a lot of stuff. We can't. We don't have the capacity. And so when we think we're going to soak up all this stuff, in, and by the way, what difference has it made? So you know and all that stuff that those idiots have pumped into your head has made all the difference in the world. Because now I know it's sitting in my armchair. I'm going to call my representative and say, hey, and he's going to go, quick. Because he doesn't care, what, obviously doesn't care what we think. They don't represent us anymore, in my opinion. <laughs> oh. mm -hmm. So either we take charge of our thoughts or they will take charge of us. Do not give your thoughts free reign, whether it's what you're watching or what you're listening to or just something what you're dwelling on. No, they become obedient to Christ. Because it says he's not giving me a spirit of fear. See, I learned that verse. He's not giving a spirit of timidity or a fear, but a power and love and a self-discipline or a sound mind. So I'm going to have those things because God's giving me that power and I'm going to stand on that word. And if I don't have it yet, I'm going to say, God, you said. I'm reminding him what he said. And I'm going to call my brother and sister in Christ and say, I'm not doing too good. I've told God that he needs to come up with what he's told me, told me he's going to do, and I still don't feel it yet, so I need your help to pray for me. And yeah, guess what? You're going to find yourself doing really well if you'll operate that way. But if we cloister ourselves mentally, physically, some other way, don't let everybody into our lives, we don't let God in, we don't really cry out to him for what he has, and we have more of a worldly view as opposed to a godly view, well... You're going to have a lot of sheep that are not growing too much wool. Just going to be the way it was. And we had, we had some of that. We really did. Globally, uh, we, I'm sure we did. Christianity uh, suffered a lot, I believe. And, and also did well a lot. So and then the fifth thing. So staying calm, carrying on. The fifth thing, do the next right thing. Have to keep busy with what God's called us to do. We have to keep busy. We have to have. So if I don't have anything to do, I need to come up with something to do. I mean, did you notice that during the, during the lockdown that our schedules got erased? Did you notice that you got just as tired doing nothing? Did you notice that? So I was doing this and this and this and this and accomplishing these things, and now I didn't do any of those things for two weeks, and I was just as tired, maybe went to sleep earlier in the day. 
There's a part of us that thinks, well, if I'm not doing anything, I'll have more energy. No. No. We can get just as tired doing nothing. We can be exhausted doing nothing, living life without purpose, without ministry. And the end of that is discouragement and fatigue. Not a place we need to be. Not a place we need to be. We need to keep doing what we can do as much as we can do it. By God's grace, my wife and I have ongoing, because pastor and his wife, we have ongoing ministries in this church. We still had, I had sermons to do, I had Sunday school to teach, and we went online. You remember the videos we took in our little house with the fish behind my head, remember that one? <laughs> and uh, praise God. I, I, I say all the time, I'm so glad that God has called me to this ministry. I'm not sure what I would be if I didn't have this responsibility. So part of the reason why God's put me in this place, a bit for me on my side of things, is that I have to be busy, I have to have a burden on me, or I just don't do very well. I turn into nothing. If I have responsibilities and people are expecting things of me, my accountability is standing up here every single week. And I can't quit with that accountability because that's the only way that I grow and I continue on the direction that the Lord has for me. We have to have personal accountability. So if I'm, I don't have stuff going on, I need to come up with something. Find something to do. Find a way to serve. Have some people that find out how much they need you because of the gifts of talents or whatever you have. Uh, I had a pastor, uh, don't, I still don't know him, I know, in fact, I can't recall his name now, but uh, about a week and a half into the pandemic, I get a call from a guy out of Brownsville. He says he was a retired pastor from a church that he named over here on Alton Glore, I'm sorry, on Paredes Line, and that he retired four or five years before he was still a part of the church, but uh, he had been locked down for two weeks, and he just went through the phone book and found all the churches and then went onto their websites and found the names of all the pastors that did as best as he could is find every single phone number, and he called every last one of us. And he said, you don't know me, but I love you, and we're brothers and sisters and brothers in Christ. How can I pray for you? He called me every single week. And he quit calling me when the pandemic came, when it was over. He found something to do. Impressive. Impressive. There's a guy who, like me, knows he's got to be doing something or he turns into nothing. We have to be doing stuff. Good reminder of what we need to do. We're so, like I said, so grateful that Val and I had already had built in something to do when everything came apart. We had responsibilities and things, but, but even if we don't, we need to come up with these things because God's got something for us to do. And we can't allow ourselves to be distracted. Uh, we can't allow ourselves to be stopped. So it was a good reminder of what we need to do when the rug gets yanked out from under us, isn't it? If the rug gets yanked out from under you, get another rug. Keep flying. Keep doing. Don't stop. Uh, the world says you're supposed to stop. The world says you're supposed to hide, and maybe you need to. I don't know. Uh, maybe the next pandemic we have to stay inside longer. Already have yourself some plans. Have yourself a phone list. Uh, have yourself something to do. Or maybe you just don't care and you're ready to go anyway, so you want to wait out in the middle of it you know, and catch whatever's coming. I don't know. You know, I mean, you, you truly, as, as weird as that may sound, you think of people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, knowing, even though most pastors fled Nazi Germany, he stayed knowing he would be killed. Because he knew no one else would stand up for the Jews and no one else would stand, stand up for you. Right, they hung him by a piano wire. That's what Hitler did to him. He knew that. Here I am talking about him, though. Because why? Because he's a servant of God and he did what God called him to do. Am I, am I telling you to be a Dietrich Bonhoeffer? No, I'm not telling you that, but God can tell you that. And like I said, it needs to be okay if that's what he told you to do. Whatever's coming. It's coming. It may not happen soon, but it might. 
you and I need to have fixed in our heads how we're going to think, how we're going to do, how we're going to react, our attitudes, we need to have our attitude on, whatever that's going to be, and decide that if the world's going to get darker, we're going to shine brighter in the midst of that. So we're going to stop right there. Questions? Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, Jerusalem. They were getting at the gold that had melted, like you mentioned. Yeah. Do you know if any of that gold has been found, like in archaeological surveys in recent times, down in the cracks or anything like that? That I know of, no. They've never said anything like that to us. Uh, that what they've said to us is that they were very good at finding all the gold, basically. Uh, they turned over the rock, because it melted down into the foundation, and so they turned over even the foundation. Um, some really big stones. And they were turning, they, they, did, they did the entire wall and the entire temple and all the stones that were on the foundation of the temple. And they started working their way down on the retaining wall, which is where this big stone that I was talking about is. It's in the retaining wall itself. They're actually, the level of the temple, the place where the temple was, was completely level, not a single stone on top of it. They dumped it off into three different directions, uh, to the east and to the south and to the, to the west, most, mostly to the, to the east. So, but it's full, it's full now. That area is full. The Kidron Valley was a real valley. And it's not, at least in that area, it's not anymore. They basically, the Romans filled it in. It was this big ravine, and they, they filled it in with pieces of the temple. So, but you're going to go with this to Israel, right? So I don't have to tell you this anymore. There's a bunch of Muslims buried on top of it right now, so... Truly, there is. Yes, Tom? I would assume the Romans had slaves to do this work for them. They didn't yeah, and also the Roman military Roman military was, uh, was a huge force. But yeah, they had slaves and they had others and they had big crowbars and stuff. And they loosed these stones. The, the masonry of the temple was all, there was no mortar. Again, when you go with us to Israel, you're going to see... The Herodian, the Herodian temple was put together. I mean, like you can't, they, you know, the people that pray at the Wailing Wall slip, slip prayers into the rock there, and you can barely slip a folded piece of paper. It's just, I mean, they would cut these stones. They were very, very good engineers. And so, of course, that was built by Herod and mainly by slaves and by Roman power and money or whatever he accumulated from, from that. That's when you're going to do it, just like... <laughs> They moved the art to Kentucky, they can move Jerusalem to Arkansas, right, Tom? Okay, I understand. I totally understand. <laughs> 15 hours in the plane is, yep. Yes, ma'am. I know. Yeah, the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib situation. Yeah, it's going to happen before the tribulation. That's my best take right there. <laughs> and until it doesn't happen that way, and I will let you know. No, the, the Bible, you know, does it come out? It, it, the word rapture, first of all, doesn't show up in your Bible. It's, a part of the, it's part of the Latin text, the Latin Vulgate. And it just means to be caught up. It's referring to uh, a, a verse in, in 1 Thessalonians. 
uh, will be caught up together in the clouds. That word caught up there in the Latin is rapturo, I believe. And that, that word being caught up, Jesus named several things uh, in 1 Thessalonians. It says we will not be a part of this. In other words, the wrath is coming for those who are asleep, but we're not a part of those who are asleep. We're not a part of those who are going to receive judgment. So just if you look at that, but again, the argument is, so when is the wrath? Is the wrath the first three and a half years or is the starting of the great tribulation or is it just the tribulation? Some people say, well, it's a mid-trib type of thing. So after the first three and a half years, uh, which, is, which is a tribulation, uh, then comes the great tribulation because the Bible does say very clearly we will not be a part of the great tribulation. But some, some would say, and I would be among them, would say we're not a part of any tribulation at all. Not appointed unto wrath is what it says there in 1 Thessalonians. Also in Philippians chapter, Philippians, in the, in the letter to the church at Philippi that Jesus dictates to John, he tells them there, you know, these things are not coming for you and I need the, I guess I have a Bible, I can look it up. He says, he says, he says there in John, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 2, Verse Church at Sardis. Church at Philadelphia. Right, behold. Behold, I call those who are the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not to lie. Behold, I will make them to come and lie down before you at your feet because you have kept the word of my perseverance I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth so what does that mean it indicates something is happening to those who believe in him prior to the hour of testing other indications of the scriptures and we have to go to a lot of them because like I said there's not no one of them that directly just gives you the whole smattering indicates that it's sometime before the tribulation, not just the great tribulation. But this, this time of wrath is, in fact, to me, indicated in the Scriptures that part of the Antichrist rising to power is the removal of the church. It tells us that, it, well, it seems to indicate that in Second Thessalonians, when Jesus says, you know, you, you know now what's holding him back, so that when he is removed... This evil one will come, who the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the appearance of his coming. This one who, you know, in the cords of Satan and comes with all power and false teachings, etc., etc. So who is that one that is removed? My opinion is the church. I should say the influence of the church. Some people say it's the, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't cease to exist on the planet during that time, but the, but the presence of the Spirit in the church does you know, what, what benevolent organization is there out there? What church or, or hospital or orphanage or, or ministry globally is being done, truly, much of any kind, outside of the auspices of the church? Almost zero. Almost zero. The church is everything. We are the salt and light. You take the church out, thing, the wheels come off really, really fast. So in, my, in my opinion, he's the church, the removal of the church, the precipitate event that brings the Antichrist to the, to the forefront. Sets Israel up because the, the church stops, the, after chapter 3, the scriptures stop talking about the church, starts talking about Israel. 
Everything is focused on Israel. The church has effectively ceased to exist. The church isn't mentioned again. It starts talking about saints, but if you read it carefully, you see it's always talking about Israel. So where, what, what's going on with us? Where are we? Unless we're not. We're up there. And there's lots of other little, little tweaks and headings and everything. And like I said, I'm a pre-trib guy, obviously. And then if it doesn't happen, I'll let you know. We're going to move to mid-trib, though, for sure. Because we're not getting enough of the rest of it. Again, some people confuse the second coming of Christ with the rapture. Again, so you have, they're, they're two separate events because the Scripture separates them, not because we want them to be separate. They're separated because of the way the Bible describes them. So it describes the rapture as something that is imminent. The, the New Testament writers were expecting Jesus at any time. Correctly so. They weren't wrong in, in expecting him. We should expect him at any time, although we may live the rest of our lives and pass away without him returning. Were we wrong about that? His expecting him. No, you weren't. Because it's imminent. It's imminent. It's, it, nothing has to happen prophetically in order for him to come. But there are many things that have to happen for him to come in the second coming as king to earth and have the battle of Armageddon and, and all that. There are very, in fact, it's demarcated seven, seven years of 360 day years. We, know it, we, we can know it to the day. As soon as the Antichrist signs, signs the covenant with Israel, we know it to the day when he's coming back. That's not imminent. Imminent is daddy could come home at any time we need to clean up the toys because we don't know what time dad gets here. Imminent is not dad gets here at three and he never gets here before three. So we can tear the house up until quarter till and we can make, push everything underneath the beds, right? That's not imminent. Imminence is it could happen at any moment. And that's the teaching of the rapture of the church. It is imminent. Something else. Tracy. So you said that Russia attacking Israel is going to happen before the tribulation, but also that we could be raptured out at any time. Yeah, before that or during that. Something in that. We may be here to see the Russians do that. I mean, the Russian, like I said, the Russians have been nothing. They've been nothing since the dawn of time, up until Bolshevik Revolution and the fact that Hitler invaded them. And it turned them into an industrial powerhouse uh, of almost the equivalent of the United States, and in some ways better than us. And of course, they lost a lot of steam because they lost the USSR, but don't underestimate them. They are powerful, and they're not, they still think the same, even though they're not quote-unquote communists anymore. They still think like that. The leadership does. They still run the country just like that. Do you think it's possible for the church to be taken out many years before the tribulation? Yeah. But what is many years? I don't know. I, I, see, the tribul- I, I see this. I don't necessarily, can't necessarily back it up, but the, the, missing, the missing church has profound effects upon the world. Like I said, it, it has profound effects because you have the removal of the influence of the church. You also have a world that has to say what happened to them and leadership that has to come up with a spin, you know, but you've got to have a television and have CNN on to get it <laughs> because that's the only way the truth is going to be disseminated to you. And, the, and they will have that, and you've seen it, haven't you? It, has it been amazing? Has it, has it been amazing to you? It's been amazing to me to just kind of sit back and watch those who have been pulled, who believe 
who, who don't see what I, and I'm sitting here thinking, can't you see what's going on here? No, they don't see it at all. Oh, no, everything they hear from CNN is absolute truth. They believe them 100%. Everything they're being told to do on there, they do it. It's like I, I kind of, there was a part of me that thought, you know, we're kind of all the same. You know, we're all kind of Americans, we think, even though they may not necessarily be Christian, but we kind of all think we have the same kind of, um, of uh, common sense. There's the word. No, we do not. No, we do not. And I, you know, without lining out some of the issues for you, it's almost like I could tell you who was, and it, I guess the bottom line I should say, who am I to say this? But I'm going to say it anyway, and you can take whatever you want to. Was, to me, it was almost like I could tell who was a Christian, who was not, by the way they fell on different topics. What? By, by the way they fell up on different, their opinions on different topics. Like a person that I was pretty sure was not a Christian would always fall on the opposite side of me on things without me even talking to them. You know, even amazing. Like a, almost 100%. It was just like, there's, again, eye-opening for me because I thought we were a lot more similar than that because, you know, we're common, common sense is not common sense. It's not. It's just like, wow, can't you see how this is? Don't you? Nope. Nope. And not to say that, you know, watching CNN is evil and makes you a non-Christian. I'm not saying that at all. But it's interesting how many of the Christians just kind of said, poof, I don't want anything to do with that. Those are nuts. Those are knuckleheads over there. Kind of the same thing I'm saying. And then many who didn't, you know, they fall in the same issues. Global warming, uh, you know, not to say I believe worlds aren't warmer. I just don't think it's going to stay that way. But I might be wrong. But um, in fact, I am wrong because the Bible tells us the revelation is going to get really warm. Yeah. <laughs> really warm. So I am wrong on that. But these hot topic issues like global warming, pandemics, uh, not e even to a certain degree, the, the, the shot, you know, the, the whole, the over the top, you know, everybody has to have a shot. You can't breathe, eat, you know, buy any food unless you've had a shot. You're, you're, you know, you're a carrier, you're this and that. It, it's interesting. They all fell in the same categories, like all of them, all, whatever they are. It was just instructive to me. Just learning stuff. So, okay, ready to go? Okay, we need to dismiss. Let's let's pray. God, I just thank you that uh, you've taken us through this hard time and the things that we've learned about ourselves, the things that we've learned about you, the things that we've learned about our world, the things that we've learned about our Bible, and just the eyes that have been opened because of what's going on with us, Lord. We just we needed all that apparently because. Here we are, and uh, we know so much better. Help us, God, uh, to be better fortified to face a world uh, that is totally unpredictable and that can change. Uh, help us, God, to already decide right now the kind of people we're going to be and how dependent we are going to be upon you, to already have inside of us uh, your word, to already have in our hearts uh, the service of, of others, Lord, being in, for, in our forefront, uh, not serving ourselves but f serving others, God, because we know that's the best way for us to get through all these things. Thank you, God, for speaking to us. Lord, we pray you continue to bless our evening services together in our, our fellowship. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.